Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive in the last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Jesus and demons and answering some of the questions from people in the congregation. So thank you for joining us as we go deeper. We are back. This is episode nine of Going Deeper, which is further than most podcasts on Apple Podcasts get. I am joined again with the prestigious pastor, Will Duvall, here to talk about Jesus and demon activity. Oh, thank you, Donna. Yeah, so before, before we begin... Um, we just want to say if texting in questions and emailing Pastor Will and I is working out, continue to do it uh, freely and we will give priority to the questions that you are asking because we want to serve our congregation. That's yeah. why we're here. Um, but there were a bunch of really good questions and really tough questions. So today, as Will said before we started recording a little bit, uh, it might be a little bit more teaching. Um, so I hope you're encouraged by that. I plan on learning some. I have a notebook right here to take some notes from Pastor Will. Uh, so just sit back and relax as Will kind of dives into some of the really, really good questions that were offered and sent in by people in the congregation. Yeah, thanks, Donnie. Yeah, I want to respond directly to your questions. And I've got to say right out of the gate with this one, um, I'm super, <laughs> I, I've scripted out a lot of my answers because I'm just really excited to answer them. Uh, Polly was joking with me before I went up to preach on Sunday morning. She's like, you're going to have to tone it down a little bit because people are going to start asking questions if you're this excited to preach on <laughs> demons. <laughs> They're going to start start wondering. Uh, but I, I could I could probably do a podcast on uh, Jesus and demons every week because I just find it so fascinating. And I truly do think that it's, it's something that the church needs to wake up to. Um, these spiritual realities in our midst uh, more anyway. So um, speaking of my wife, Polly, I'm going to start with her question uh, because um, I was getting a little worried like Sunday afternoon when I didn't have any questions yet during the during the sermon, like real, real life tweeting. I know this is a new thing that we're trying, but we'll keep pushing it and hopefully you guys will get more and more active. But we did get a couple good questions roll in. But I, I sort of told Polly she needed to come up with some questions just in case I didn't get any. And um, so sure enough, she um, will start with hers, which was, how do we reconcile God being in control of demons and yet allowing them to do such terrible things? How do we distinguish between God acting versus demons or Satan acting when bad things happen? And does it even matter? Um, and so I'll take the, I'll put those two questions sort of together in that way. And I'll start by ask, answering the first one. How do we reconcile God being in control yet allowing terrible things? Really, um, that's just a, a sort of a reframing, rephrasing of the problem of evil in general. Problem of evil, of course, is sort of that age-old theological question: How does a good God allow so much evil and suffering? And so, you know, we can bring demons and Satan into that picture as well, and and say that, well, you know, God doesn't do evil. God just allows evil. Satan does evil, um, but it really does just kind of move the 
kick the can a little bit farther down the road, so to speak, in terms of answering the ultimate theological question and problem of evil. And so um, that's a whole nother podcast uh, that, that we don't have time to get into. I think, you know, the, the quick answer to the problem of evil is um, theologians sometimes distinguish between the logical problem of evil and the personal problem of evil. And so uh, the logical one being just sort of like, okay, let's just sit around in our in our theologians' chairs and 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 uh, discuss this in the abstract philosophical realm of you know debating or whatever, and um, and sorry, my family. <laughs> as we're talking about her question, they're about to walk in. We're good. We'll keep going. Um, yeah. So that's you know there are there are good I think satisfactory logical answers to the logical problem of evil. Um, you know, God allows evil because uh, it serves a greater purpose, greater good. Um, should we even expect to know what that greater purpose, that greater good is, or uh, to even experience it as such in this in this life? I think these are all good questions that Christian needs to put back to the skeptic. But obviously, the all of that kind of um, becomes real for us when it becomes the personal problem of evil. And you know, when when you lose a child and you're asking how could God allow this evil to happen to me? And how is God working this together for good in my life? And can I really believe and accept that? And so, you know, that's where I think it becomes much more important, obviously, if we're actually having these questions with people to to be pastoral and, and you know, view ourselves less as a, as a theologian or debater and more as a, you know, pastor or shepherd or just a caregiver, a friend. Um, but... All that to say, I, um, I I think that's how we kind of reconcile God with being in control of, of demons and allowing them to do terrible things is because God has a greater plan, a greater purpose uh, in mind, and he can even use Satan to accomplish it. And he does, and he proves that. Um, and he proves that even, uh, most especially on the cross, the, the greatest evil of all time, redeemed, used for the greatest good of all time, are our uh, salvation. And so that's that question number one from Polly. The, the second one, how do we distinguish God acting versus demons and Satan when bad things do happen? Does it even matter? I, I think the short answer is yes, it does matter. Um, James 1.13 comes to mind for me. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. So I think it does matter who we, you know, sort of supernatural forces were attributing these, you know, trials, temptations, uh, um, et cetera, ultimately to. Um, God doesn't tempt us with evil. Um, God doesn't himself do evil. Um, Satan, Satan does. God allows Satan to do that. We think back again to the examples from Job chapters 1 and 2, that whole interaction, discussion between God and, and Satan. Um, Satan even being viewed as one of the sort of Bene Elohim, the divine counsel that reports to God and is, you know, used by God for his purposes in this world. Um, but yeah, I think that's how we distinguish between it. Ultimately, it's an important question because ultimately we know God is sovereign. All uh, things fall ultimately under his sovereignty, his purview. Um, but God gives, just like God gives agency to Satan in this world to, to work and, and move and do things, he gives agency to us too. And that's, you know, 
uh, gets to, again, a bigger question of, of free will and how that happens in a world where God is sovereign um, that we don't have time to talk about, but we believe it. We believe that, um, you know, let no one say when he is tempted or when we sin that, you know, Satan made me do it or God made me do it. Or whatever. No, I mean, we have free will and we actually decide things and are held morally accountable um, and responsible for our decisions. And in the same way, you know, Satan is no... Uh, is no uh, exception to that either. Donnie, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that question as well. And in my undergraduate, one of my professors, doc, well, not Dr. Dan Dyke, but Professor Dan Dyke, was an expert on the Book of Job, um, which is a depressing expertise, I'm sure. Um, but the in our Job class that I took, uh, he, he kind of summed up this, the problem of evil is called a theodicy. Um, he, he summed up this theodicy by saying when... Satan does go about roaring on the earth, but God always holds the leash, and and that's not clear, and it actually creates a lot of a lot of questions. Um, but the the Christian view is that while the kingdom of God is here, uh, there are things happening in the world that just don't look like the kingdom of God. It's called the right here and also the not yet. That Jesus is still inaugurating his rule by his church but that there are things happening, even though Jesus is king, that seem like, wow, they shouldn't really be happening. Yeah. And that's hard to distinguish between, like, is it sin? Is it my own brokenness? Or is this demon activity? Yeah. And and that line is a starkly gray with no clarity in the answer. Starkly so, gray. I like yeah. that. <laughs> that's, that's good. And that, I think that's a good segue, too, to our second question, yeah. which was from Scott, not Clayton, not our worship leader. Um <laughs> But uh, Scott asks, what is the correct balance between the extremes? A demon behind every tree, such as in the Frank Peretti darkness books, versus a denial of demonic activity altogether? And I think that is such a good question, such an important question for us. Uh, really per- practical. Yeah, very practical. <laughs> how do we, you know, how ought we to understand the, uh, the work and the influence of the demonic realm over our lives, over our experience of the world, um, how active are they versus, yeah. So let me jump in. As I said in the sermon, I think we have to acknowledge the existence of angels and demons, these non-flesh and blood rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, Ephesians six twelve, as Paul tells us, we have to acknowledge that, um, but is, is ultimately everything attributable to such supernatural spiritual causes? Um, you know, I, I used the example when I was in the middle of preaching on, on Sunday, and I was only half joking when I mentioned, you know, these demons trying to throw our service off by making my microphone mess up, my contacts mess up, the baptismal heater going out. And the I wind, say, the, the wind, the storm comes in the middle of the sermon. I mean, seriously. And, and I say I was half joking because we do know that demons exist and that they're real and that they actually have power over things in this in this world that's given to them by God. Um, and, and that the last thing that they would want to happen is for the sermon that was preached on Sunday to be preached, I think, and especially for Alex's testimony to be heard um, that, that he shared so powerfully. And yet... We know that they were um, given permission, given that permission by God. That's the thing. Um, And it goes back to Polly's question again. God's sovereignty forces the Christian to answer this bigger question about the problem of evil. Um, But it does at least mitigate Scott's question here. 
which is, I think, answered by, by saying that at the end of the day, the Christian doesn't have to live in fear of a demon living around every corner because because we know that God holds the leash, as Donnie said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that uh, you know, even any access that, that any <clears throat> demon or spiritual force would be given to mess with our microphones, our heater pumps, send storms. I mean, we had the tornadoes again last night, and, um, you know, had my prayer, had my family in the basement last night, and we're praying. You know, we're, we're praying because we believe that there are forces at work in our world that are given even dominion over things like natural forces of evil, like tornadoes. And uh, demons want to wreak havoc by doing crap like that. And um, so I'm just praying with Ellery and Polly, and we're praying to the God who is ultimately sovereign over those forces to, to spare people and to spare us and, and those we love, even those we don't know at all. And so um, we pray and uh, and we acknowledge that nothing is outside God's purview and ultimate control. He's already promised to work all things together for good. And so um, David Platt, uh, my favorite pastor, tells this story um, uh, of where he's speaking at this big conference. And just before he goes up to speak, all the power goes out in the building. And the conference administrators come over, they get him, they tell him, Okay, we all need to go in a room right now. We need to pray and that God would bind these demonic forces that are at work here uh, and, that, and that he'd bring the power back on. And, and David Platt's response was, well, maybe. I mean, prayer never hurts. Um, and, and we acknowledge that that's certainly a possibility that these are demons at work, whatever. He says, but we might also acknowledge that ultimately God is in control. He allowed the power to go out, and so maybe he has other plans in mind here. And, and so Platt goes on to tell the story of how they moved the event into another room, a more intimate setting. He was able to go on and share in a more personal way with the audience, and the whole thing turned out even better than it was planned to be. And so I think that ultimately gets us to this kind of question, too, related question of agency. Um, Platt brings up this really important, I think, question and, and very helpful biblical distinction for us. Um, and, and, and he actually did an entire Secret Church event. Um, if you're not familiar with David Platt's series, Secret Church, um, you need to look up that podcast. Um, it's available, all the videos are available on Right Now Media, uh, which we can get you on um, through our church membership. But you need to check that out. But he does a whole Secret Church event on uh, demons and spiritual warfare. Um, and I'll link, I'll link that in our show notes for today. But Platt distinguishes between uh, natural evil and moral evil. And without going into the whole topic and, and ruining the fun for you, um, uh, I think it's related to Scott's question here is the question of when do we attribute evil that we are experiencing to de- a demonic source as opposed to our own personal agency. Uh, and so if we know that demons are real and they cause real evil in the world, We also know that sin is real too, and it lives inside me, provoking me to cause real evil too. I am a morally accountable, responsible, free will acting agent in the world as well. How do we distinguish between the difference? Um, And I think that's an important question for us uh, to to, to debate. And again, without ruining the fun, Platt's short answer is, um, you know, yeah, demons are given some some authority over uh, natural evil in the world, but moral evil we are ultimately accountable for. Let none of us say when we're tempted that, I mean, Christians should never say, Satan made me do it. That should never be a phrase that comes out of our mouth because Satan cannot make us do anything. And so that's a good segue to question number three. Uh, Question number three comes from Greg. Uh, um, Greg Stewart 
I think I can give you a shout out, Greg. You wouldn't mind that. Uh, Greg asks, can a Christian who has received the Holy Spirit be possessed by demonic spirits in the same way as what we read about in the New Testament? I say no, but would love to hear your thoughts. Um, the, the short answer is I agree with Greg, no. Uh, and the, the, the good sort of source citation or, or, or verse for reference here is 1 John 5.18. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That's a whole other issue. Uh, but he who, has, who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So we know Satan cannot touch us. Um, and I, I did a whole sermon on this when I preached back on, um, I think it was back on 1 Peter 5.8, uh, where Peter talks about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour um, and, uh, and, and so I cross-referenced and talked about this issue of can Satan actually devour us? Can he touch us? What can he do? What can't he do? Um, but, uh, the short answer is he, he can't touch us and, um, he can't touch our ultimate salvation, which is uh, eternally secure in Christ. Um, and he can't, I, I, I think along, I uh, would interpret and I think along with the majority of um, Christian orthodoxy on this, that um, Satan being unable to touch us would include demonic possession. So um, again, Platt cautions us not to ever utter the phrase, Satan made me do it. He can't. Demonic possession is limited to unbelievers. Um, demonic possession does happen, but it can't happen to a Christian. Um, I, I think it bears mentioning even that is pretty rare possession. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It's very rare uh, so not only should we not attribute our own actions to demons, they can't make us do it. They can only influence and tempt us to, to, to th- certain things. But we should also be very slow to interpret others' actions as that. Like when you're on Facebook posting about, you know, Antichrist and, and like yeah. politicians being demonically possessed. Like just be very careful with that for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being because doing that strips them of their moral agency. You know, if, 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 if that politician who you disagree with so adamantly is really possessed by Satan or whatever, um, you know, that, that I think causes bigger issues of, of their own personal agency. But I do, even, even there, um, again, maybe a related issue that we could get into, don't need to, but maybe their agency is, is involved insofar as they've invited. I think we, I think we have to invite for someone to be possessed, even, uh, they ha- that has to be invited, and so that's a whole other issue that I think we'll probably get into in the sermon two Sundays from now in part two on Jesus versus demons is the whole realm of the occult. Um, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, especially chapter 32, is very clear in laying out some practices uh, that we don't, as followers of God, touch or get near because they are open doors into demonic uh, influence and even possession. And so... Um, yeah, we, we, that, that is part of our agency is, is inviting, um, demonic influence, uh, in, um, but no, Greg, you're right. Um, a Christian who's received the Holy Spirit cannot be possessed by a demonic, um, spirit, but now we know we we can still be afflicted. We can be influenced. And so Paul himself tells us in second Corinthians 12, seven through nine, He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations and and the 
context here in first second Corinthians 12 is Paul is <laughs> boasting and yet not boasting he's humble bragging about these revelations God has given him taking him up into the third heaven he's he's sort of speaking indirectively sort of passively in the third person but about this guy who's given revelations of Jesus in the third heaven but he's real we know he's really talking about himself he makes that clear in chapter 7 but he says to, to in verse 7 to to keep me from becoming conceited a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So all sorts of other questions and issues that come out of that passage um, about, you know, (laughs) why, again, God would allow us to be afflicted by demons continually after pleading and um but but i think that paul gives us a great answer because god's power is made perfect in our weakness god our weakness is an opportunity for god to make his power known um to make his strength uh seen and visible in the midst of our weakness and so as I said in the sermon last Sunday, the more effective you are for the kingdom of God, the more likely you are to be targeted by Satan's attacks. So um, no wonder it's no wonder that Paul was afflicted as, as much as he was. And um, So while we can't be possessed, we can be afflicted. And, and to a certain extent, we should almost pray. I mean, we, sh- we shouldn't pray that we're afflicted by Satan. We, we pray... Uh, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't, don't afflict us. And yet we, we do pray that we would be effective for the kingdom, and we know that the reality is the more effective we are, the more Satan's going to target us. So I don't know, Donnie, you want to weigh in on that yeah. at all? Adam? There are some things I think Will did, a, as always, a fantastic job. There are things that I, I noted when I was reading it. Uh, one of the things is a prayer for being usefulness for the kingdom is also a prayer for an invitation to be attacked. Yep. yep. So if I'm praying, God, use me to be in, useful for you and your kingdom, you're also praying, God, I'm probably going to get uh, get some things thrown my way. Yeah. The other thing is, when you're reading the Bible, it's important to note that there are four authors, well, in the gospel specifically, there are four authors' commentary on pretty similar events, and that we're not reading a hundred different accounts of like 40 different demon possessions. Right. Will's comment that they are far and few between in the Bible is accurate. Um, so this uh, mythology behind demon possession that comes out of Hollywood is uh, difficult and largely not a true of scripture. While it does happen, it never happens to believers as well. Um, so you, you have to point out as you're reading through the Gospels and you hear these demon possessions, and like what are the notable differences from text to text? What's similar? What does the author want me to see? Um, and then you'll begin deriving the true meaning from the text. And there's also an important note that pain and difficulty can point us to the cross. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis said that uh, suffering is God's megaphone to a sleeping world. Yeah. We, we realize in our suffering how there are, there's, it's like a moral barometer of what truth is. So, and that's important to notice when you're going through difficulty that God may be letting happen that Romans 8 says it's used for our good. So important. Yeah, and that, that yeah. Sorry, so it's like that. even, Will's very open about just issues with struggles and infertility and how, um, that's pushing him to adopt. And they have announced really recently from the pulpit and on Facebook that the Duvall family are adopting, which is incredible. And 
the the most beautiful expression of God's love, I think, on earth is adopting a child necessarily. You make um, a really important point. Yeah, let's take it. Well, is that not only is our suffering, our affliction, whether from a demonic uh, source or otherwise, not only is that an opportunity for God to make his strength, his pr- perfections known in our imperfections and our weakness, um, and for God to get glory, but Donnie, you're right, it's also um, an opportunity, and rightfully rightfully viewed by Christians, it's an opportunity for us to draw closer to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's his ultimate goal for us personally. His ultimate goal for the world is his glory, and he gets glory by making his his um, strength known in our weakness. Mm-hmm. His ultimate goal for us personally is our sanctification, is our relationship with him, our intimacy with him. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're a Christian who has struggled, you can almost certainly attest to the fact that, um, you know, there's a there's a sweetness that comes, uh, obviously bitter sweetness, but a sweetness that comes in the midst of suffering as we draw close, necessarily so, to the Father in a different kind of way. Um, we draw close. Uh, so, but I think that's a great, your, your point about what we see in, um, in the New Testament is a really good segue to our final question, our fourth mm-hmm. question from Greg. How has spiritual warfare changed since Jesus died, descended, and conquered death, taking back dominion of the earthly kingdom from Satan? Greg's really getting at that question that Donnie brings up of, you know, how much, what, what do we see in the Old Testament versus the Gospels versus the rest of the New Testament versus today in terms of frequency, mode, whatever, of demonic power and, and, and authority? And so um, I think Greg's question is a very interesting one for two reasons. All right, so let me spell them out quickly. Um, how, his question, again, was how has spiritual warfare changed since Jesus died, descended, conquered death, taking back dominion of the earthly kingdom from Satan. Uh, number one, it's an interesting question to consider um, just from on, on its own merit. How has the situation changed post-Jesus? Um, for starters, I think we should notice that the demonic realm is way more active during Jesus' ministry than at other points in, in Scripture. Um, demonic uh, presence, influence, uh, activity is at its climax in the four Gospels. All right. And again, understanding all of this stuff, that should come as no surprise to us. You know, when, when would when would the demon, I mean, if, if the demonic, if Satan is going to target those who are most effective for the kingdom of God, who is he going to target more than Jesus, right? I mean, so of course they were most active during the Gospels. And of course we see Jesus exercising and casting them out more than anyone else in scripture. Um and, uh, and it's important to, to note that during the rest of the New Testament, we really don't see a lot else uh, about demons in the epistles. We do some in the book of Acts. But again, my take on all this is that the battle is now shifting um, from spiritual warfare as exorcism um, to spiritual warfare as evangelism. And um, you know, I, I referenced in passing the analogy, the famous analogy, uh, I can't remember who came up with it, Originally, it might have been Lewis, um, but the, the difference between D-Day and V-Day um, in World War II, you know, D-Day being the turning point of the war, when really the, the, the war was, was sealed at that point um, after the in, invasion of Normandy, Normandy um, and uh, the, the kingdom of Hitler was pushed, began to be 
you know, forcibly, you know, conclusively pushed back, um, and, and the, 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 the train had started already in motion that was inevitable now that the Allied forces would win, versus V-Day, Victory Day when, um, you know, the, the peace treaty was signed and it was all officially over. So Satan knows that the war is lost now, post crucifixion, resurrection of Christ. Satan knows that the war is lost, but he can still keep some people from knowing that he's lost the war. And frankly, from even knowing that there's a war to begin with. And I think that's his number one strategy now and how his strategy has shifted is, um, is not this open sort of conflict with Jesus because Jesus already won the war. It's this guerrilla warfare hiding behind enemy lines, kind of like sniper rifle, you know, picking people off. I mean, it's, it's, it's much more subtle, and again, as I said in the sermon, and, and why I read Greg Morse's fantastic extended article on the topic of just how subtle and pervasive but effective you know, Satan has been at convincing the church um, that he's not even there, that they don't, we don't even need to worry about him just because he can't possess us or something like that. Um, but the second reason that I find Greg's, uh, our Greg, West Hills Greg's, um, Stuart's question interesting here is that I'm not sure I would agree with how he's framed it. And so, Greg, brother, uh, you ask, um, and, I, and I'm, I'll repeat the question again, how has spiritual warfare changed since Jesus took back dominion of the earthly kingdom from Satan? All right? And I'm not sure that I would agree, and, and I don't think that Greg, if I pushed and we would talk about it, and um, if he was sitting here now, I'll have breakfast with him tomorrow, so I'll ask him. Um, yeah, but I, I don't. I think Greg would agree with me. I don't. I don't think I would say that Jesus has, has quote taken back dominion of the earth, earthly kingdom from Satan for two reasons. Number one, Satan is still called the god of this world in Second Corinthians four four after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Satan is still given some authority and domain over this earth for now. But number two, Satan was never given ultimate authority and dominion over the earth. All right, so. Um, his power, his authority has always been limited, has always been derivative under the oversight of God's providence. And so what Jesus did do on the cross and in the resurrection was to prove all of that, was to prove that he was ultimately authoritative, was to prove by his atoning death, his victorious resurrection. Jesus proves that he has ultimate authority over hell and sin and death. And then he he goes beyond that and Jesus shares, he gives that authority, that same life-giving resurrection power to us through his Holy Spirit. And so we do actually see in the book of Acts, people like Paul and Peter casting out demons. Um, And we see even in Luke 10, Matthew 10, Jesus sending out while he's on earth still, commissioning his sort of pre-Great Commission commission when Jesus sends out his disciples to, quote, preach the gospel and cast out demons. Those two things. And so we see that happening um, because we, we share his same authority over um, hell and sin and death, but we do it in his name. I mean, we do it under his authority, knowing that that, that authority is not inherently possessed by, by us. Um, it's, it's all belonging to him and just shared with him through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so um, Jesus preached to, he freed captives from Sheol, First uh, Peter 3.19, a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's like way thornier and trickier to get into, but um, we won't get into that whole interpretation now. But again, the short answer is, and this is probably a good place as any to, to kind of start to wrap up this podcast because we're pushing 31 minutes now anyways. 
to bring us full circle back to the main thrust of the sermon from Sunday. How has spiritual warfare changed today since Jesus? I think it's that Satan's number one goal now, since he has been proven to be defeated, Colossians 2.15 says God has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Jesus put Satan to shame. He, he, he pantsed Satan in front of the whole middle school. He pulled his pants down right in front of everyone. In the undisputed historicity of the empty tomb, Satan's number one goal now has been just to blind people to that truth. It is to get us to look at everything else in life other than Jesus and his empty tomb. And frankly, I think he's done a pretty good job of it. I, I think I've got to give a give a hand a give a hand to Satan, applaud Satan for the job he's done because I think America may be the closest thing to a Christian nation the world has ever seen, and yet we're also undisputedly the easiest distract the most distractible society in human history. And, and frankly, we we've got to be I think one of the least effective evangelistically as well. I mean, I think if we were to look at just in terms of the sheer number of, of self-professing Christians and evangelistic effectiveness, America's got to come towards the bottom. And so I think every day that a Christian doesn't share the gospel with someone is a win in Satan's book. But we know that God's got a book too, the Lamb's Book of Life with all the names recorded of everyone who has or ever will come to faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal salvation for those of us whose names are written in that book, in God's book. I think every day that we don't give someone else at least the opportunity to be confronted with the reality that they have not trusted in him and that they desperately need to, to give them at least the opportunity to have their name signed in God's book, I think that that's a win in Satan's book. Satan chalks that up to a win. And if, and if we are, if we as believers started approaching life in that way, um, that today, you know, is either going to go down as a win in God's book or in Satan's book, um, in this inner space time where battles are still being waged, the war has been won, but battles are still being waged between D-Day and V-Day. If we changed our way of thinking to ask that question, God, how can, how can you use me? Uh, for wins in your book today, in your kingdom, for your kingdom, instead of just drifting mindlessly from kids' soccer practice to soccer practice, from blues game to blues game, all the many distractions that 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 are are you know all around us. Uh, Martha's busy broom. Well, then I think until we do that and shift our way of thinking, uh, you know, we're going to keep sort of unknowingly, unconsciously, implicitly um, allowing Satan to, to win these many battles. Let us pray, church, that we would be used by God in powerful ways for his kingdom. Pray for those opportunities. And then, as Donnie said, brace for those attacks because we will be inviting them. David Platt says, and I'll just end with this, don't you want to be on that giant wanted poster in hell. Don't you want a, a wanted poster with your face on it in the depths of hell? And to that I say amen. Uh, and Donnie, I don't know if you have closing thoughts for us. And that's it for episode nine of the Going Deeper podcast. Well, I'm grateful for you and your leadership. I have no closing thoughts. You summed it up very nicely. Uh, and thank you, listener, for sitting with us through this episode. A bit heady. 
Um, but that's just fine because we have to tackle and deal with these things every day. So thank you for coming in, Will. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks and for we'll, listening. Yeah, and we'll see you on episode 10.